Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavanagh on TRSI. Today is Sunday, it is the 27th of the 9th, and I am sadly here today without my friend and colleague, Michael Dwyer. He is still ill, although not deathly so. I think he's just enjoying this time to recuperate from whatever nefarious activities he gets up to during the day and night. So I'm afraid today that it will just be me and you, and hopefully we'll be able to keep each other entertained for the whole process. Obviously, without Michael here, my tendency to go off on long tangents and randomly start discussing esoteric parts of uh, ancient history will be unrestrained, and therefore we've got to keep the show as short as possible so that we don't end up talking about how the British ship, the Nemesis, was the apex of British colonialism and an incredible example of the power of mercantile endeavours, which now that I've said it as a joke actually sounds like a fascinating subject. We'll mostly be talking about Irish news today, which I'm sure is a great relief to those of you who send me messages asking that we talk less about American, Australian, British and Chinese news. But I do want to mention just before we start, if you haven't heard, and I imagine you have, that Trump has put forward Amy Coney Barrett uh, as his Supreme Court nominee to replace uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, now that she is dead. That will be an interesting one. They have 40 days or so to get her true. Usually takes about 70 to get someone true. Some people go way longer, some people go shorter. But we will see if they can get this true before the election, uh, or if they can get it true at all, I suppose. And on a second little piece of international news, something you may not be aware of, but is really interesting if you're interested in Vatican politics. And I am very interested in Vatican politics. Not religious in any way, just like the politics of it. In the same way I like the uh, Catholic Church's law. Not the religious law, I just like the fact it's an organisation with thousands of years of laws and it's codified and it's serious and there's a law for everything and a regulation covering everything and it's delightfully complicated and you can do whatever you want with it because it's just so complicated. I like that. So, so a cardinal, Cardinal Angelo Beshu, or Becu, I, Tara, it's, it's, I'm not even going to try, you, you get the idea. B-E-C-C-I-U, that's it. We'll just call him Cardinal Angelo because we're cool and we're on first name terms like that. He's resigned. He was prefect of the Congregation for Saints' Causes. But he's resigned due to an alleged embezzlement involving a London property deal and a charitable organisation which is wonderfully uh, murky, as all Vatican financial transactions are. He's interesting because he and an Australian cardinal called George Pell who had been prefect of the Vatican Secretariat for the econo- for the economy, had been having effectively a massive fight in the background in somewhere in the region of uh, kind of 2017, 2016, 17, because Pell was trying to clear up the Vatican's finances, which are notoriously funny. And Pell had wanted to bring in external auditors uh, into the Vatican, and basically go through everything. And Angelo undid that. He cancelled the audit without permission 
and then basically had to go to the Pope afterwards and get permission for the thing he had already done. That fight was broken up when uh, Cardinal Pell was accused of uh, the rape uh, of, of, of the rape of a child, uh, which he was subsequently convicted for in a judgment, which was, I remember reading it at the time, just shockingly ill-conceived. There was basically no evidence. Lots of people had come forward and said, what has been alleged doesn't even really make sense. The person alleging it couldn't really remember the exact dates or exactly what had happened. He said someone else had seen it as well, but that person had died of a drug overdose and had, up to the moment of his death, never spoken about it. So, Pell gets accused of uh, sexual misconduct, has to go over to Australia to fight it. And that kind of kills off the um, the move to restore the Vatican finances, or to, to look at them more cleanly. And now the fact that this cardinal has, has gone, now he said he's innocent, he said he's going to prove that he's innocent, but uh, the fact he's gone is an interesting little thing. And the Vatican deal, like the Vatican's finances are substantial. And as I said, they're notoriously opaque. They are they involve every tool of financial obfuscation and movement you can imagine. And there have been calls for years that this should be, like, this has to be fixed. This has to be put together properly. And now the thinking is that this cardinal was requested to resign and that there will be a move to, to restore the Vatican. So even if you're, you're not religious, I, I recommend checking this out or keeping an eye on it. Because if you like political intrigue and financial misdemeanors and you know, massive amounts of money just turning up in places, let me tell you, you are going to love a good old Vatican financial scandal if you haven't looked at them before. Now, this is a relatively small one. This, in, this involves like uh, 100,000 euros or something like that. But apparently Pell has also written to the uh, Pope already thanking him for his fine work and for playing the long game, I believe is the phrase used. Which, I suppose you, you can't complain with that. So, on to Irish news. The big story, I think, in, in Irish news at the minute is the Barbie Kardashian case, which only, I think, gripped, reported on the aspect of it that people are interested in, and then the Independent got involved. I don't think the Times has, has got involved at all. But before we go on to that, and I do want to talk about that, um, because it's a piss take, basically. And for those who haven't heard, it relates to a case where there is a person who is a proven danger to women. A proven danger to women. Has a long history of issues with women, of violence towards women, and things of that nature. And is claiming, is self-identifying as a woman now, and is trying to be put into a woman's prison. And... Whatever about the, the self-ID law generally, this I think is a particularly egregious case of it. And we'll, we'll run through it and what kind of, uh, what we uh, what we think about it. But while we're talking on the issue of um, of sex and gender, there was, a, there was a report that came out during the week. Very interesting. And it was put forward as showing that the gender pay gap was widening between male and female graduates. That is exactly the headline on RTE, Gender Pay Gap Widening for Graduates Survey. And it said that um, the way it was being put forward was that female graduates in Ireland will earn 14% 14 less than their male counterparts a year. 
Now, RTE did kind of put exactly what the survey said, but a lot of people who shared it, and I think the National Women's Council were putting this forward as a terrible thing, you know, a massive pay gap. So then I went and I uh, looked into it. Just read through the methodology of it. Because we've said before, if anything looks a bit dodgy, like any survey result just doesn't seem quite odd, read the methodology. And you'll usually be able to see, well, this is where that falls apart. That doesn't, that's not how that should be done. And what it was, what it actually was, was they had gone to graduates and they had asked them in different fields. So law, business, engineering, a couple of other ones as well, like about 12,000 students, a fair sample. And they said, um, what do you expect to earn? What would be a good wage for you? And then they just averaged it out across men and women. That's all it is. No one, there's no actual wage data here. There's no showing that there is a 14% gap in pay. What there is, is that the numbers given by men were about 14% higher than the numbers given for women. And that's averaged. It depends on the field. And that's it. And yet that was enough to make news in multiple newspapers. It was... this. It's per research. Well, sorry. It's per research for what it's being presented as. The actual research itself, that there is a 14% uh, gap in expectation that's interesting by and of itself but and you would expect there to be a gap based on what you have of um when you when you survey each sex and you ask them what they actually care about men tend to put money much much higher so you would expect them to put a higher wage but it's still interesting and it's still interesting how it moves over years but it's not proof of a gender wage gap it's not anything to do with a gender wage gap you could argue that it would explain part of a gender wage gap further down the line if that expectation during salary negotiations becomes a thing. But it in itself is is not what people like the National Women Council are saying it is. It's not proof of any kind of gender pay gap. It's just a difference in expectation that has absolutely no wage data inside it. There was an interesting comment from the from that the, the RTE reported from the um, one of the people behind the survey. And it was done by irishjobs.ie. And they were saying that it is, um, it's concerning that the gap is widening. And you said, yeah, is it? I mean, if you're asking people, what salary would you want? Would you consider a good salary? And people give different answers. Is it actually negative regardless of if it's men or women looking for the most of it i mean if people say if you ask people how much how many hours do they want to work a week and that goes up or down is that concerning i don't think it intrinsically is it's just a thing it may be good it may be bad but it is um it's just a thing and as long as people are happy with their salaries or, you know, have worked out why they want that salary. I mean, is this just a number people were plucking out of the air? Or were people going, right, well, with that salary, I can get this kind of lifestyle and that's what I want. In which case, that would seem perfectly reasonable because people can want different things. But anyway, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's just 
per research I wanted to highlight. It's not on the level of the uh, cancer and heart people coming out with a survey, which they said showed that, you know, evil vape companies were trying to attack children through bright colours, and which Simon Harris, as the Minister of Health, stood up and said, you know, this this research has shown me that more needs to be done. It's It's convinced me. And then I looked into the methodology of it, and my first response was, I am astounded Red Sea were willing to actually put their branding on this at all. Now, I would suspect that Red Sea themselves were also very unhappy when that came out, because what it turned out it happened is that the uh, the Heart and uh, Irish Heart Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society had brought, I think, 16 children into rooms, four groups of four children, and had designed the questions in such a way that they massively increased the chance of the children saying that they thought colourful vaping packages were designed to attract the children. But even without that, it was 16 children. It's not a statistically significant sample. It couldn't be. At the very best, it could provide some direction for further research. But with that amount of children in a focus group test uh, setting, you would get absolutely nothing rigorous, nothing you could stand over. It's the kind of research that had... I mean, if I had paid... If the Edinburgh Institute had paid someone to conduct research on this issue and they had come back to me with that, I would have just refused to pay them. Like, that's not research you can print. And yet, they were able to get it ran... They were able to run it in multiple major newspapers. It was run by the health editors of many of them, and it was covered extensively. And none of those articles that I saw mentioned the methodology, which made me think they hadn't seen the study at all. What had actually happened is a press release had gone out and they had published on the back of that. Uh, so that's the standard of research that will be accepted and presented as, as rigorous research in Irish newspapers without being read, as long as it comes from an organisation that is seen as having political capital. So there you go. Don't trust anything you read in newspapers. Don't trust anything you read online. Definitely don't trust anything you hear in a podcast. Apart from that statement. And the statement backing it up. And so on into infinity. It's true statements on this podcast all the way down. They're like elephants. But anyway, let's move on to the Barbie Kardashian case. So this is the way I'm going to do this. Because I don't have Michael here to hold me back and to make sure I don't say something. So I'm going to be careful about this. It is likely when discussing this, I am going to change between using the pronoun he and she multiple times. I will make this clear at the outset that I think he is the appropriate pronoun, but legally it is she. Legally, Barbie Kardashian is a woman. Now you might go, who the hell is Barbie Kardashian? That's not a name. Or it shouldn't be a name. It just look, sounds like someone took two sort of caricatures of femininity and slammed them together, to which I would probably say I suspect you're right. But I'll give you the raw facts of the case, and then I'll give you some opinion on the case. Barbie Kardashian is a person who is currently in custody. They've been remanded in custody 
and charged with making threats to kill two people. So they appeared before Limerick District Court a while ago, charged with four counts of making threats to kill or cause serious harm. Whatever about that. The issue here is that all of those threats to kill or cause serious harm were towards women. And Barbie Kardashian is legally a woman. Now, why is that of interest to this case? Because it's of interest to this case, because one of the things she is trying to do is she is trying to push the judge to ensure that she goes to a female prison. Uh, her representation has said that she is very anxious she be detained in a prison facility for females. Now, the judge said, I can't make that recommendation. That's for the prison authorities. And, well, why is that an issue above the fact that Kardashian is violent? And, well, here's the issue particularly. Kardashian is violent in a very particular way. All of her uh, threats to kill or cause serious harm towards women. All of the violence that we know she's done in the past from court records towards women. All of the sexual issues that have come up in the court records for the past. That's all relative to women. This is a person who appears to want to kill and or rape women so you may be maybe putting the pieces together as to why this is an issue here but legally they are a woman now important to note here ireland's laws on gender recognition use what's called self-id now self-id basically says that if you go forward and you fill out the requisite paperwork and declare that you are a particular gender you are that gender. There's no requirement for hormone replacement therapy or surgical intervention. So, and that's, that's, you, you can do all that, but you don't need to, to get the cert. And that's the case here. Barbie Kardashian is 100% biologically male, no surgical interventions, no hormone interventions. 100% male. Now, 5'8 uh, in height. I'll put a link to a gripped article which published the photo of her. Now, what we know from the court records is that, well, we know actually quite a lot about this person, mostly her past and that she may have mental health issues, which is something to keep in mind when looking at the photo and making comments about it. We know that this person was sent over to the Tavistock Clinic in London for an assessment for gender uh, dysphoria. Now, the Tavistock Clinic you may recognise because they've come up in the British news in a couple of instances, basically related to how many children were being run through the Tavistock Clinic and how many of them were being given medication, which is not experimental in the normal sense, what was being used in effectively an experimental fashion. And it was being given to very young children. And it was entirely possible that that medication would have sterilized a number of them, which would be a bad thing, I think. So she goes to Tavistock. And remember, these are not gender critical 
people. These are people who fully believe that you can change your gender and that gender is, is fluid and all, all of that stuff, which you believe that if you want. And they basically said that, um, I'll give you an exact quote from the, from the court document. A view was taken that whilst on paper G, a G is the way they're referred to in court documents, presented as ticking all of the correct boxes for gender dysphoria, there was a lack of effect in the way G described her gender difficulties, as though she was reciting from something she had learned. All the facts were correct, but there was no emotional impact. So they said all the right things, but when they were assessed, person just went... Well, this is odd. I mean, you're saying it, but we're not sure if you believe it. So we have a situation where someone has a history of violence towards women, has had no surgical or hormonal interventions, declares themselves to be a woman. So here's here's another quote from the from a court judgment about this person. G does not present with a psychiatric illness, but has numerous personality disorder traits in the realms of a cluster B personality disorder, namely narcissistic, antisocial, and emotionally unstable. These personality disorder traits do not warrant inpatient psychiatric admission. So what do we know about this person from the documents we have available to us? What we know is that they have a history of physical and sexual violence towards uh, staff in the care home they found themselves those attacks go back to about a time when she was 13 years old. In the care home, she had to have multiple members of staff with her at any one time. And staff reported that when they were assaulted by her, they felt that that assault was premeditated. They didn't think this was someone who had anger issues. They felt this was someone who planned to attack them. And then they said sometimes things would happen which seemed to trigger it. But even then, they didn't think it was spontaneous. They felt that... Now, this isn't in the report, but you get the feeling that they're saying that it felt like she was waiting for an opportunity. They said she had a general lack of warmth, treated people as they exist only in relation to her needs, could not imagine an exchange which could be friendly or reciprocal, and here's an interesting one. G only attacks female staff members. It's considered that G is more compliant in relation to male staff than female staff members. Started to wear makeup around 2015. At a time when she was sharing a house with a young person who was um, transgender. Said she was hostile to other people who were placed in the same home as her. Tended to perceive them as enemies or as sexual predators has a strong sense of grievance and also often feels that things have gone wrong or have been done wrongly to her. She is a source of many official complaints. They said she was only interested in the control of others and that this control is achieved through manipulation at times and at other times through violence and particularly sexual violence. They said these are the means of achieving a sense of mastery and triumph over fear and trauma. And it goes on and it goes on and says that she has callous and unemotional thoughts, communications and behavior. 
does not reason about acts of violence according to conventional moral foundation. The reasoning that is present is egocentric. It also, interestingly enough, points out that she has a previously falsified monitoring test for blood pressure and has pretended to have certain illnesses that she didn't have. The report says that all aspects of her accounts of symptoms, mental states, beliefs and preferences are unreliable for clinicians to assess. Risk assessment is therefore not reliable and risk management is particularly difficult. Now that comes from a professor, Harry Kennedy, who she was referred to because she had threatened suicide. And what he said was the threats of suicide are instrumental, designed to achieve another purpose, to manipulate clinicians towards complying with their wishes. In this instance, the wish to be referred for gender assessment. It also said that she claimed to have self-harmed by cutting, but that wasn't supported by any scarring evidence. He also said that doesn't mean it should be dismissed. But there's no proof it exhibits callous and unemotional thoughts, communications and behaviours, does not reason about acts of violence according to conventional moral foundations. So, okay, violent, unemotional, callous, targets women, fond of sexual violence, fond of violence, wants to be put into a women's prison. On the actual gender dysphoria, on whether or not they actually should be considered to be a woman. Here's from the court document from her uh, psychotherapist, a psychotherapist called Miss Allen, an adolescent psychotherapist. This is from March uh, 2017. Starts by saying that G presents a high level of risk to those around her, talks about her uh, when she grew up, which was by all accounts pretty horrific. Um, just not a great place at all. Starts talking about sexual violence, control. Says that hurting others gives G a sense of power and control. She enjoys the mental stalking and physical pinning down of others in a sexual and or violent way, allowing her to project her fear of violation onto another. She enjoys others' fear only on this basis, and then says, In discussion with me, it was very noticeable that she has researched the area and was therefore able to provide a tick-box list of symptoms that are required for the formation of this diagnosis. However, I believe the important first step would be to address the trauma, which is impacting on every aspect of his development, not just gender or sexual identity. A couple of interesting things there. One refuses to actually say they're suffering from gender dysphoria. Two, where I said she when I was quoting from this, that is put in uh, in brackets. The uh, would, would suggest to me it's been added later. The only actual gender pronoun used by this person, I think, originally is his. So she's asked, is this person a woman? Says they gave all the responses. Then says, however, we have to do this instead. And doing so refers to them as a man. Now that may be accidental, that may instead be a little window into how they think this is going. So violent, uses suicide as a weapon, has no evidence of having uh, cut themselves upon them, wants to be put in a woman's prison. And here is the issue. So we were talking about the photo earlier. 
There's a scene in The Simpsons where Homer Simpson makes a makeup shotgun and shoots Marge Simpson in the face with it and then apologizes to her and says that the makeup shotgun is uh, set to whore. Looking at the photos of this person, both the photo we published and other photos which we've seen, I have seen drag acts that were more representative of general femininity through their usage of makeup than I have in this case. I mean, this isn't, this is grotesque in look. And I mean that in the formal sense of grotesque. It is a grotesquerie. This looks like a piss take. This doesn't look to be someone who actually thinks they're a woman. Or if they do think they're a woman, they have so many compounding mental issues that, yeah, we should probably get through those first. Even the name, Barbie Kardashian, you just too hyper-feminized distortion of general female femininity and just slam them together. This all feels like it's a joke, but the problem here is legally they are a woman. So legally, they probably should be put in a women's prison. And here's the problem. We've seen this in England. In England, the rates of transgenderism of self-declared transgenders and not hormonal replacement therapy or surgery amongst prison inmates is substantially higher than the general population. And people say, well, that could be due to various sociological uh, effects. I would go for a, a simpler, shall we say, approach that people in prison have realized that if you say you are a woman, you can get certain privileges, sometimes being sent to a women's prison including the famous case in England in which they sent a male rapist to a female's prison, which went... I mean, it's not going to shock you, it went about exactly as you'd expect. But there are other privileges that can be gotten. But here's the thing, this person seems to either hate women, or regardless of her reasoning, targets women. This is a person who will use sexual violence against women. And there is a very high likelihood they will be put in with other women. Now, interestingly enough, the courts also put down a court order saying that you couldn't report the name of this person or that they were classed as transgender or a lot of identifying detail. Now, that's a bit of an issue because you start seeing these media reports come out saying that there is this homicidal girl that could be prowling the streets if they're uh, released. Because again, they're in custody at the minute, but they could get out. Now, there was a Pulse bulletin sent around. Uh, Pulse is the internal guards system, if you weren't aware. Which basically said this person was a danger to society. And included the photos which have now leaked and gave the name they're going by and their birth name. And um, yeah, obviously it was going to leak. Because if you're telling people that this is a danger to the public but you won't give the right sex and you won't give any information that could actually be used to identify them that seems like a threat to public safety and the interesting thing here is that of all the cases of this you could have a case where someone is put forward for a crime and claims to be a woman and is recognized as a woman legally but has gone through hormonal replacement therapy and has gone through surgical intervention and doesn't have a history of specifically targeting women for violence. And that would be one thing. But that's not what we have here. 
And this, I think, is when we're moving towards the self-ID laws, this is pretty much the scenario that people who were opposed to it brought up and were told was absolutely ridiculous, could never happen, that they were just throwing fear and no one could abdicate the safety of women like that. It was absolutely ridiculous to happen. And now it's just come rolling on into the station perfectly as it was described it would be. And now we get to see what happens with this case because, okay, the judge has said it's not her decision what prison this person is put into. But are we going to see the civil liberty groups come forward and say, no, that person has to be put into a women's prison because they've got a bit of an issue here. If they come forward, well, then they're putting someone into a women's prison who is an immediate danger to women. And I, I, there may be an assumption here because I'm coming from the right that I should be like, well, you know, those other women are in prison and I don't really care what happens to them. But I'm not one of those people who believe that violence should be done in prison or things like rape in prison is, is a good thing or should be allowed to happen. It's grotesque and it should be stamped down. But if they don't come forward, well, this person has abided by every part of the regulation that they support. So why aren't they coming forward? Because if the regulations are adequate, well, then this person met that bear and they're a woman. By their own reasoning, this is a woman. But they're not a woman. They're obviously not a woman. This is a man. And I'm just interested in seeing which way. Anyway, that is the real case here. I know people jumped on the media very heavily for reporting the way it was done. Um, and we didn't. We didn't even realize when we published that there was a court order. We hadn't been told about it. So we just published because it was public information. And then we heard from other newspapers that, well, they hadn't published because of the court order. And we basically went, well, like we can't abide by a court order we're not aware of. And even if we were aware of it, all the information we published is public. So, I mean, even if we were aware of it, I'm not sure we would have abided by it. But breaking a high court order is no small thing. In the same way, publishing Pulse photos may not be a small thing. But we did because it is newsworthy and it's relevant to people's safety and they should be aware of it. But this is, this is, this is pretty much the end game of these things, of the gender ID laws. If the gender ID laws are correct, then this person should be put into a women's prison. And if people are whatever gender they say they are, and we should respect that, this person should be put into a women's prison. And it doesn't matter how much of a danger they are, they should be put into a woman's prison because they're a woman. But they're not. They're an active danger to woman, to women. They are a man. They're obviously a man. This is a piss take. I know. I note when I say that, it's entirely possible I'm wrong. And that this is just someone with very severe mental difficulties trying to do the best they can. But when you read through the reports that are publicly available, and I put a link below this episode to them, and you can read through them, and you can read some of the details of what they did and how they interact with others and their disposition. And you can see what you think. This doesn't seem like a person with mental health issues. This seems like a person with some sort of severe personality type disorder who is not suffering from it as such, but is making everyone else around them suffer. I mean, we've been hearing from people that in relation to self-ID and things like that, that this is 
you know, you've got to support people, you've got to be pleasant to them. It doesn't cost you anything to recognize people as the gender they want to be recognized as, which my retort has traditionally been, but I don't believe you can change your gender like that. I don't think that you can de-link gender and sex like that at all. I think while gender has some place as a category to examine activities, I think the extension of it to people, and in many ways even to certain activities, is nonsensical and self-destructive. And frankly, I don't think most of the people who say things like, well, that means they're a woman, or that means they're a man, and they absolutely claim that they believe this to be the case, I think many of those people don't actually believe that. I think they say it because they feel it is the accepted or the nice thing to say, or it's the thing they should say. But I don't think they actually, in their heart of hearts, believe it. And there is some data on this, mostly from dating sites where there's been a little bit of data pulled together where people have looked at what their attitudes towards transgender people is and then looked at how often they're actually willing to match with or date transgender people, having said that they would be open to it. And the stats just don't match up. Like a lot of people are just saying this because they want to be nice or because they think it is the thing that has to be said. And now we're looking at a case where there is a real material consequence of that belief. It is no longer nice. It's not nice to put someone who targets women with sexual violence, has a history of it, is manipulative, is willing to use anything they have as a weapon to get people to do what they want, and enjoys pinning others down, control over them, and manipulation. There's nothing nice about putting someone like that into an area where they will have easy access to other women because we are either don't want to say that this is obviously nonsense, or we have somehow convinced ourselves that this isn't nonsense and that that person is a woman. And so I just want to see how far this goes and how far people are willing to go before someone in the more mainstream areas goes this isn't this isn't right we any situation in which we have to put a person like that into a vulnerable population that we know they will target or we know they have targeted and there's no reason to think that they will stop now that cannot be a workable ideology. But instead, I think we'll mostly ignore it and they'll, some fudge will be created so that no one really has to deal with the issues that this will raise. And we'll just keep on trucking because dealing with these questions will be difficult and would require people to say things that they may actually believe but don't want others to know they believe. Things would go poorly. And so we'll just, we just won't. Nothing will happen as a standard. Anyway, that is the big story, I think, at the minute that this is happening the way it was reported, although I'm usually, like, I'm not the kindest, I think, a lot of the time to Irish newspapers and what they will and won't publish, but in this instance, at least they can go, well, look, there was a high court order. Um, 
it would have been interesting if Gripped didn't publish this, if any of them else would have, because the Independent then came forward with her name. And that was interesting. I suppose the key point here is if you want to see more of this sort of thing, or you want to support a uh, media organization that would report this sort of news when it's possible to do so, uh, donate some money to Gripped or sign up for the... Uh, Sign up to the uh, newsletter, that kind of stuff. But uh, every little bit helps. Anyway, I will leave you there. I'm told that by Michael that he will, even if he has to crawl his way out of bed, be here for Wednesday, and you won't have to listen to me meander around the place. Uh, every time he's out, I do just consider not doing a show, but then people seem to enjoy it, even when it's just me to some degree. So I do it anyway, to the best of my limited capabilities in this regard. I will see you all Wednesday. Have a good, uh, all the best.